0: Welcome back everyone to the broadcast it's your special signing day edition early signing day whatever we call this December day this beautiful December day I'm David Woods Bruin Report Online the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network and I am joined by Tracy Pearson Tracy how you doing today
1: I brush my teeth
0: hey that's something I've I've often
1: not gotten to on signing day I'm gonna confess right now I'm in my pajamas yeah yeah. I know that image is just really disquieting. Well, I I, but...
0: I wanted to hear you were wearing a little bit less, but that's fine. <laughs> you are a disgusting
1: human being. Let's talk later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Tracy, uh, yeah, signing days in the past, you know, it was a uh, it was a fun affair. Um, December's have not been, I think, as exciting, and that might be tied to UCLA's, you know, relative failures in recruiting. But not this Wednesday, this signing day in December actually turned out to be pretty exciting.
1: And, you know, so I woke up at about 5.30 when I usually wake up. And, you know, you, you, your mind gets conditioned. I wake up and I go, oh, it's signing day. But the last several signing days, nothing really has happened except signed letters of intent, no real commitments. And I literally almost I almost just said, oh, nothing's going to happen until, you know, I don't have to prepare for anything. Nothing's happening today. And I went, wait, today might be different. And that got me out of that bed, Dave. I bet. Yeah. So, yeah, this was... Isn't it so... I was just talking with Mr. Brandon Huffman about... And to Blair, too. How different, <laughs> how different the world is when there's actually a UCLA program that's generating some interest in, in recruiting. Even for them, they were saying between them how much fun it is to get the bros excited on the on the forum.
0: It is. It is. And, I mean... What a beaten crew our bros are these days. Um, they are
1: the guys, though. They are. They, they have stuck this out,
0: stick it through thick and thin. Wow. You know, sometimes you didn't even know if Chip Kelly was recruiting, like just if, like if in that fundamental binary whether they were or they weren't. And now to have a day that's actually exciting with guys flipping and mystery recruits. Like, when did we last hear about a mystery mystery commitment? What was that? Like five years ago.
1: And when we did, usually they all didn't happen. (laughs) No, none of them happened. Yeah, exactly. But this This one one happened every time, except for one. Yeah, one. That's a that's a great story. But we'll tell you later in this little pod we got going. Um, Yeah, just really good vibes. I mean, and you and I have been saying since we've been doing this job, if UCLA wins, and you don't everyone's always against the saying it will recruit itself which is yeah that's that's not accurate you still have to recruit but damn your recruiting efforts are so enhanced at UCLA i've seen it through so many different staffs that have been there staffs that weren't necessarily good recruiters and they signed great classes because they were looking good on the field this this program if everyone can remember, three and nine, four and eight, and three and three, three and three, 500 ball, has gotten enough, and this is not exaggerating, this, uh, recruits calling up UCLA saying, hey, I wanna commit, three and three. And, you know, fairly good recruits, high three stars or, and some four stars, calling them and saying they wanna commit. If, this is what I wanna talk about the most, We all have talked about Chip Kelly and his staff, uh, their approach to recruiting and how it's, you know, been lacking at times and in certain elements. But if he just wins more on the field, if he gets to eight wins for a season and let's say, wow, crazy, something like 10 wins. They're going to have guys calling them up like this and. Suddenly, all those evaluations that they didn't, they were not recruiting this guy because of this or this or this, suddenly those guys will get recruited because when it comes to coaches, and this is for every coach I've ever known, the thing that they like most about recruits is when that recruit likes them. That makes that recruit a better recruit. And more, suddenly, he's more able to get through UCLA admissions because the coach is willing to push him through. That's what you have to hope for in a Chip Kelly program, that more positive results on the field generates more interest from recruits, which gets them recruiting at a higher level because more higher level recruits are showing interest in them.
0: Yeah. And uh, that's (laughs) it is stunning to me that that's going to result in, as you just posted, uh, potentially a top 30 class after Literally 10 wins in three years. That's I
1: gave that was a hell that was a hint right there. I can't give it away, but there are, as we know, we've talked about on the forum, there are some outstanding boons out there and some other things that could happen too. Um, yeah, it could end up a top 30 class,
0: yeah. And obviously, we can't predict how every other single class is going to finish, but I mean, certainly, certainly going to be trending upward over the next couple of days at least that's the way it's looking right now
1: but you're right 10 and 20 and they signed a top 30
0: class (laughs) that's just Uh, that's that's a little bit silly um now obviously and I, i i you know not to not to rain on the parade at all but it needs to get even better than that but to do that off of a three win season a three and three season is um it's it's another pretty positive sign Right, because we got some positive signs with the play on the field. Obviously, it didn't end. um, (laughs) Obviously, it ended in devastating fashion against USC. um, But the play on the field was certainly better this year than it had been the previous two years. And recruiting, I think, this is going better than the previous two cycles. So, um, you know, if you're if you're in the boat where you're looking for major positive signs for Chip Kelly and his program at UCLA. I think that's it's now two this year. Um, two pretty big ones in 2020.
1: And when it comes to recruiting it it is uh, there are, if this were 5 or 6 years ago before the NSA transfer portal before UCLA had put in uh, uh, education grad program before um they are the new NSA rule that you're allowed to transfer without having to sit out a year um recruiting could still be the thing that, that did in Chip Kelly, even moving forward from, from here because he hasn't recruited that well yet. There's still going to be that lag in there. Once you lose the guys who are juniors and seniors, that little lag in there of how much talent there is from position to position, but he can now utilize that thing called that transfer portal. And, I think if you analyze it, you look at it from all different, it's a thing perfectly set up for him because transfers don't care about getting that much love from staffs. Their families don't care. They don't care about official visits. They want to go where first they're going to get playing time, they're going to get developed, and hopefully live out their dream of being an NFL player. If you want an all-business attitude, you're going to go play for Chip Kelly because That's what it is. It's a no-frills, all-business approach, which we've said from day one when Chip got there. And then on top of it, you've got the Wasserman Center. You've got you've got a lot of food that you can eat. Um, (laughs) You've you've got and and it's not it's not a bad thing to spend your last couple of years in West in Bel Air, living in Los Angeles and getting a degree from UCLA. If you got a degree from southwest technical institute and now you can get one from ucla i mean everything is set up for for chip kelly to be ideal in recruiting the the transfer portal and well he's got film
0: to show now of how he uses his transfers i mean this year especially but even previous years but this year especially with how quantra's Knight, how britain brown how caleb johnson i mean semi-transfer jc but Um, how all of these guys performed and how they were immediate starters or immediate, you know, playing a ton guys. It wasn't as if he was prioritizing his high school guys who were highly rated because, well, there aren't that many of them. And it was, you know, I I, I think there's a way he can show this where it's not quite, but sort of like what Bill Snyder was doing at Kansas State, where they were just reloading with a lot of JCs and bounce backs every year. And it's at, You know, I I think it's a similar type of strategy, um, even if it's not, you know, quite the same thing, because he was doing that pre-transfer portal. Um, But it's the same idea, which is you go get more adult type guys, you know, and not just mentality wise, but physically. I mean, Quantres Knight when he was a freshman was not Quantra's Knight as he is now. Um, Britton Brown, freshman year at Duke, would not have been Britton Brown right now. I don't know if Chip Kelly would have gotten would have wanted Britton Brown as a freshman, but getting him as a fourth year guy, well, suddenly he's really good. Um, I think there's maybe and maybe that is uh the kind of pivot to strategy now. You know, the things well, things yeah. have kind of lined up correctly for uh Chip Kelly to really embrace that and potentially turn out a an interesting program from it.
1: Well, what I was and then what I was saying that it, it gives him the bridge between the recruiting we've seen in the last couple of cycles that wouldn't sustain probably a winning program to fill in all those blanks win a few more games and now we see what even just three and three can do it gets you a top 30 class he gets eight 10 wins then he's rolling in recruiting and now he's bridged that talent gap so we're there's so many things about this that if you would have really talked talked about it just a matter of a few months ago there's these elements about it that that weren't that weren't present and a lot of it is is seriously contingent on the new defensive scheme we were saying more than likely chip kelly's program wasn't going to make it because of the schemes because the defensive scheme was just that bad the offensive scheme was decent to good and you weren't going to win at a high level with that old defensive scheme but now with that in place and then the transfer portal, Chip Kelly being probably an attractive place at UCLA for transfers. And a little bit of winning gets you recruiting on a high school level at a pretty high level. There are a lot of elements here, Dave. <laughs> but that key element is that defensive is that defensive scheme. Um, they must be showing that. Well, I know they're showing that to def- uh, defensive recruits. And they're saying, wow. Look at that. I mean, Quentin Somerville, the, the defensive lineman who flipped from Michigan, looked at the tape of UCLA, and how many people in uh, like in any given play have the opportunity for a tackle for loss? If UCLA is something like 8th in the nation for sacks per game or sacks per possession or whatever, and I don't think is there anyone who's over three sacks on this team. There's like eight guys who have three sacks. Yeah, no, or I think I
0: like I think it might be Caleb Johnson who has like three and a half. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's it, no, it's it's everybody. It's yeah. um, it's I, you know, obviously there's limitations and we saw them during the USC game, but this scheme is just so damn fun to watch. Like it's just so fun. Oh, Caleb Johnson ended up with five and a half. Okay, so here's hey. the list. for Caleb Johnson, 4 for Osa Adigazua, 3 for Mo Osling, 2 for Mitchell Agudi.
1: He's a cornerback, by the way. Well, and
0: that's the thing, is Carl Jones 1.5, Quantrez Knight 1. But you have, so you have a linebacker as number 1, a defensive lineman at number 2, and a cornerback as number 3. All (laughs) levels of the defense are rushing the passer.
1: That's so fun. If you just tell me that and you weren't even telling me that about UCLA, I'd say, oh, wow, that's a fun defense to watch, I bet.
0: Oh, so yeah. And so it's just, um, obviously, I think that had an impact. I think you're right. Um, I think that, that just uh, so much of this, I think, is play on the field. Um, and so we should we should actually talk about this class because we're just kind of speaking in generalities. Um, big news that just dropped about half an hour before our recording is that Devin Kirkwood, who decommitted now has recommitted and I think probably has signed, but we, I don't think we have confirmation of that yet. Um, that's obviously huge. That's one of the things that bumped him up from 49th nationally to now 44th. Um, that's the, that's the impact of getting one of those big four stars. But I would say my big takeaway from this class so far is just line play because they've gotten so many offensive and defensive linemen after we were kind of thinking defensive line especially might be an issue and, you know, maybe still, um, interior defensive line, but Still, it seems like they um, they filled a lot of needs here.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I used to look at the projected defensive line depth chart and, and get pretty frightened. Um, and this is, you know, if you're thinking about it, this was before they gave everyone an extra year of eligibility. And before that, there were seven defensive linemen who would have graduated in the next two years. And then not one true defensive lineman. not Not one on the team. So... Yeah, that was a little frightening. So now you combine the fact that maybe they'll have some carryovers for these guys that get an added year, which helps. Our our key here is is the word bridge, which will bridge some talent. But now it's got some guys. I think they're all developmental, personally. I don't think there's anyone who's just plug and play. But there's some upside. Uh, I, I have to admit, I've only seen... Uh, Quinton Somerville, he's the only one on this list. Tyler Keene was at the camp I was, but I, I don't remember him, so I don't want to say that I know him. But the guy I like is Christian Burkhalter on tape. Um, I think he has some real upside to be really good. I think Somerville, Keen, Campbell are all in that sixth – two to six four and they're like 240 pounds now they'll end up 280 275 to 280 and they're they're basically mix and match three techniques which you need those guys especially the way ucla's defense plays right now so this is solid and and then you have the then like you have burkholder i think who can have a big amp, impact at defensive end and then possibly hayden nelson who looks like he's going to end up at UCLA? He was a three-star commitment at uh, Syracuse, but I, I like his tape too. I, I think he's a he's a solid guy. So they are they're probably one nose tackle away from this defensive line class. I'd say being being good, even very good, and you know I I would see them diving into the transfer portal and looking for that for that uh, nose tackle of the future. Um, Yeah,
0: and it's interesting because I think we were thinking going into the year that they might be de-emphasizing it just because of who they were recruiting and everything, but then Otito Ogbunia really played a lot, Um, especially, and it seemed like he was playing more over the course of the season. So I think that's still going to be a major need for them.
1: Um, You know what's interesting about that, Dave? Because you and I, and I think most of the guys on the forum would say – Hey, uh yes, still need a nose tackle, but they were recruiting like they they were recruiting seriously, twenty-five guys who were six yeah. three and two hundred and forty-five pounds, like they didn't need a nose tackle. Yeah, now I, now it looks like they're recognizing, oh, we do need a nose tackle in this defense.
0: Yeah, so, it'll be really interesting. Yeah. And I think they also had the advantage of having a guy like Ose Degazua who plays a lot stronger and bigger than he is. True. Um, so that's that's hard to replicate um a guy like that um Odua Izabor was his understudy until he got hurt but um he's not that guy so I'm I'm interested to see what happens there but obviously they've got some pieces to work with at least at those end and, and three tech spots as they develop and then on the offensive line um a couple of big long tackles um interior guys I mean it's it seems like you know these guys I don't feel about them the way I felt about some of these like really deep developmental classes in the past, like guys that you would have to squint to see them playing in like four years. Uh, these seem like, you know, guys that you can project after a redshirt year, maybe impacting the depth chart.
1: Yes. And the thing that Chip Kelly did say in the interview today, which we have been talking about for as long as I can remember can we just get to 15 scholarship offensive linemen? That doesn't mean 15 guys who can play. That means 15 guys who at some point will be able to play offensive line at UCLA and they're on scholarship. That that probably means eight to nine guys who could play in a game and there wouldn't be that horrible of a drop-off. So, you know, seven developmental young guys who probably weigh 260 pounds, but that's fine. They have the talent eventually to, to hopefully be a playable body. Right now, with this class, they will be at, I mean, if I had, do we have any music in the back, like some trumpet fanfare? They're going to be at 17 scholarship offensive linemen. And let's even say, like we've been saying, there's two or three that probably will never be able to play at UCLA's level. The fact they're they're at fourteen or fifteen is just shocking. I it's it's. Uh, do you remember those days when UCI was carrying like nine scholarship offensive offensive linemen? Uh, I mean, year after year after year. Yeah. And they are actually you got to give Justin Fry a huge amount of credit, especially since he came in signed a pretty good class. Then had a big dip in the 2020 class where he got shut out on a lot of guys and then made a comeback. Um, he had playing, he probably had future playing time to sell, which always helps. But this is starting to look like a real depth chart on the offensive line. And the guy I want to, I, I want to talk about more than anything. I mean, there's Thomas Cole, who probably future left tackle. There's Garrett uh, DeGiorgio, probably future right tackle. But my guy is Noah Pugliali, that guy, if you go and watch tape of him, I think that's an NFL. That's an, a future NFL guard. Um, he's that good. And the, remember, we were saying even Biggins, everyone, and Brandon that he was leaning to Cal or to Oklahoma, and he committed to UCLA. That that was that. I'm I'm gonna mark. I'm gonna say it right now. In two or three years, Noah Pulaliali. Is going, We're going to look back and say, "Wow, that was amazing that they got that kid," because that's a future NFL guard.
0: That's exciting news. Yeah. Um, another uh, late commitment flip, whatever you want to call it. Josh Moore, the safety from um, my former neck of the woods, Atlanta <laughs> Marist School. That's uh, one of the big privates there. Um, what do you think of him? Um, how big of the of a pickup was this? I mean. Safety play was certainly a weakness for UCLA uh, this year. Do you think? I mean, he was a two, four, seven, four star. Any chance he plays
1: early? Um, from what I've seen of him, and I've talked to someone who's seen him, he's he's pretty physically developed. He's a pretty big kid. He's six one to six two, and already one hundred ninety five pounds. Uh, I, watching his tape, he's he's not a free safety to me. He's um, he's more of a of a strong safety or even that striker position kind of guy. Uh, But I'll, I'll take anyone who can play some safety because after watching this season and really seeing a lot of, I mean, uh, there were a lot of guys, I think playing over their head, overachieving in that defensive scheme. I I would say, I, I can safely say that safety play was still lacking. some. um, and it worry, you just have to be a little worried about the talent level that's at safety right now. So <laughs> this is why Josh Moore is significant. They did not have a safety commitment. They had no one they were recruiting. They missed out on five or six guys they had offered. So they were sitting there you know, empty-handed when he called them up. Um, great story, too. He was committed to Stanford as a safety, but he wanted to play wide receiver. USC then flipped him as a wide receiver. Then USC got, you know, it's wide receiver U, so they got a few more guys. Um, He basically decided to decommit, realized he wasn't going to be one of their guys, opened it up. He calls UCLA. UCLA, from what I understand, says, well, we would like you as a safety. Now, wouldn't you think he'd call Stanford back? Say, okay, I want to be a safety. He kind of, I think he checked in with Stanford, but Stanford was... I mean, I don't want to say butthurt, but probably not too happy that, you know, I'm not blaming them. Coaches do this. You know, you you decommit. They're going to say, well, okay, bye. We're done with you, which was kind of the case. So falls into UCLA's lap. It gets its safety it, within, what, five days of signing day. Didn't have to spend a lot of time recruiting them. Yeah, this is a major coup at a position where you could – if there's a position you would really sense watching this team this year, it needs to upgrade some talent. It would be safety.
0: Yeah, and even if he doesn't play safety, I'm actually, I started watching his highlights while you were talking.
1: Um,
0: yeah. He, uh I could see him playing
1: some Quantra's night role. I could see him yeah. doing that. That's what I saw too.
0: Yeah, yeah. that'd be a He's lot a of big fun. guy. He's a yeah, big he's guy. He's a big dude, but he's got, he, he's, he, he moves really well.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, he kind of, re- he reminds me a bit of, uh, uh, Jonathan Vons, John, John Vons, who did, who did play some, they're probably about the same size and John, John was playing some will linebacker, but he might end up, he might end up a striker himself too. So, you know, as long as you get those kind of guys that can, that can play various positions that, that all really works. Yeah. yeah. So we do have to say, I think I've said it, but, there are still a couple out there that could happen. As of this moment, Thursday afternoon, UCLA is leading for some more guys. I won't even say how many, just some more guys. Now that could change by the time they sign it. They maybe they don't sign during this early signing period, but right now, there's still some things for you to keep checking back and clicking on Bruin Report Online like 300 times a day. <laughs>
0: Well, and I think, um, do we know the uh, final announcement day for Morrell? Is that Friday? I think it's Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be a big one to check in for.
1: And then the other thing, I mean, I I, want to talk about Devin Kirkwood. Um, Devin Kirkwood is a big, long athlete. I don't know if he's necessarily a cornerback. But the way UCLA uses its cornerbacks are they're big, long. They're not necess- they are ne- not They They can't necessarily stay with a guy down the field. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of those guys from Obie Ebo to uh, Mo Osling to Shad Williams. So if you're looking for that guy, I think Devin Kirkwood is that guy. Um, and they've got the guy from last year who I really like is John Humphrey. So – They've got Devin Kirkwood was a big was a big pickup. I like him as an all-around athlete. If he's not a cornerback, maybe he's the future safety. Um more of the free safety type. Um, to maybe go DJ Warnell was playing some corner this year, but he might end up safety too. So they got a lot of these guys that maybe they'll be able to fit in to different spots and you're talking about finding a spot for a four-star Athlete with tremendous upside like Devin Kirkwood. So that was a huge, a huge surprise because what does Greg Biggins say? It's very, very rare that someone decommits, opens up their recruitment and then recommits.
0: Well, and then, I mean, let's talk about where he goes to school. I mean, somebody who decommits and with USC and then recommits to UCLA from Sarah.
1: If you want if y'all and I don't usually do this because I don't want to too much publicize personal lives of these recruits but if y'all want to like have a hero or a heroine I think Devin Kirkwood's mom gets a lot of credit she uh she's a very strong woman UCLA grad loves UCLA and I would I would bet she had a very strong hand in this
0: for once the mom won
1: woohoo mom won <laughs> Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So let's go over this a little, though. Some of the spots that maybe they're hurting on a little and perhaps they could fix by February signing day or in the transfer portal. And the one most glaring one is tight end. And that is just shocking because UCLA is legitimately tight end you in the last two, three years in college football, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, Derek Sage is a tight end coach. And I'm I will I will say if a coach I've gotten feedback from a lot of people that they're not good recruiters. I've gotten feedback that he's an effective recruiter. I shouldn't say effective. He's he's a good recruiter that recruits like him. But he, he struck out with I should count him. I think we're up to like 14 tight ends that they offered this year, and they all said no. So none signed, none committed. Uh, Same with last year. That's astounding. If there's one position that's that's really been showcased, it would be the tight end position in the last couple of years, and they cannot find themselves a tight end.
0: They don't need to. Uh, Just uh, scour the rosters of all the local high schools and grab another walk-on who you turn into an NFL player. There you go. Solved.
1: (laughs) He's your guy. He's,
0: he's your guy. He's been my guy. I saw him catch one ball two years ago, and I'm like, wow, he can actually play. And then he did it a few more times last year, and now he's a friggin' he's a pro tight end. He's going to be great. He's a pro
1: tight end. Um, um, and then what's, let's talk about linebacker. They kind of struck out on linebacker. Well, it's okay.
0: Uh, they still have the 15 guys from last year.
1: They got those 15 guys, and they're all at outside linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> They do have the transfer, the grad transfer from Notre Dame, who I've heard was going to plug in inside. He's 6'2 and probably 210 pounds. So I don't know about that. We'll see. Um, So maybe a linebacker in the transfer portal, that would be good. Someone who can play inside. And I don't want to keep just piling on Bo Calvert, but maybe someone a little bit more instinctual at at middle linebacker would be good. And then running back, if they pull out to Dacian Morrell, He's a solid guy. I still wouldn't mind seeing them if Britton Brown and Dimitri Felton's leaving, and if Britton Brown leaves, which I'd have to think he would too, I wouldn't mind getting another grad transfer running back. And then let's talk about quarterback, Dave. Let's um, talk
0: about quarterback.
1: I have said that there is some feeling out there that uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson might put his name in the NFL draft. I. So many people will say, well, that's crazy. You're crazy, Tracy. I'm not saying it's my opinion. He should, I'm just saying around the program, there's a feeling that that could happen. Um, it might not, he could get some feedback from the NFL and they say, no, no, no stay. He could get that feedback and still say, no, I'm going, I'm just saying there's a possibility that he does leave after this season. Um, I would think that they will go heavily into – and they already have kind of put their big toe into the transfer portal pool when it comes to quarterbacks. And there is a huge, huge pool that that are already in the portal, and we are bound to see so many more that are going to get put in that portal. So, like we said, maybe an attractive destination for a transfer to come play in Chip Kelly's offense at – will get you pretty well-versed for being an NFL quarterback.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I do want to, you know, I think we all are um, a little hard on Dorian as a player. Um, and I think there's some reason for it, um, the turnovers especially. But I do want to point out the year he just had, because it's, I think statistically, it's it's worth um, maybe reassessing if you haven't looked at it in a second. So this year... He was a 65% passer who threw 12 touchdowns and four interceptions and averaged almost eight and a half yards per attempt. Um, and his rating, uh, it's useless that I'm not going to cite it, but that's a Yeah, full what is it?
1: 294 is something
0: you 160.5. Right? I don't even know what that's out of.
1: That's got to be like top 10
0: I in know. the country. It's whatever. Yeah. But he his... Um, it, so his completion percentage was a full 5% five and a half percent higher. His uh, yards per attempt was a whole yard higher and his touchdown to interception ratio improved a ton. So he got better as a passer this year. I think that's definitive. Um, but interestingly, this was also his first real year being effective running the ball. Um, previous years he, yeah, he did have some big runs, but he also took those horrendous sacks, you know, the ones where he'd run back and get tackled for like a 20 yard loss. He cut those out this year. There was still running back, but he was very rarely getting tabbed for it. And so the result was 46 carries, 260 yards, almost six yards of carry for three touchdowns in four games. Um, Dorian was good this year. uh, And there were moments where it was not good and it was not, you know, particularly fun to watch. Um, But on balance, and I I think a lot of it is influenced by his excellent USC game, um, but I think there's at least reason to think that he's reasonably thinking, I need to look at this. Um, So I don't think people should just out of hand say that's crazy. Because yes, we all know Dorian's flaws as a quarterback. Like we've all been watching him now for two and a half years. We get it. But he did improve a ton this year. And he might be thinking, okay, well, why don't I go see what they say? And I don't think that's unreasonable. He's got one more year, so... Go see what they say, and then if it's nothing good, you come back.
1: I, I think, I think the NFL, while people were just dismissing him as an NFL prospect, I, I think they're wrong. I think there's plenty of NFL scouts who would look at him and say there are some tools there that are that are highly unique, um, and that we can things that we can work with, and we can we can improve him. Uh, there. You know, there, you can say that maybe he doesn't have a great natural feel, but he has gotten better. And you have to cite the USC game because the, he was very good in that game for just his decision making. That, as you said in your write up, that I don't, I don't look at those those interceptions as being like really bad, bad decisions, really. Um, Generally, he made good decisions and then he threw the ball really accurately in the throws where he had to be accurate and and looked really, really calm and composed in the pocket like he he knew if he had to scramble, he had to move a little. He knew where everyone was. And I thought it was very impressive. I thought he's definitely made some steps forward this year. I think fans are a little bit haunted by the ghost of of Dorian Thompson past. Yeah. Um, but I think the NFL could look at him and think. I, I, honestly, I think it would behoove him from a draftability standpoint to stay one more year. But I don't. I I think he's still draftable, um, and that there will be an NFL team out there that might see there are a lot of tools there we can work with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that I mean, and those two interceptions. I mean, just to, like. Nine times out of ten, that th- ball he throws that Isaiah Polamau picks off, the one that was just tipped, that was a line of scrimmage thing,
1: uh, yeah. nine
0: times out of ten, that's just an incomplete pass. Like, he made a freaky play to catch that ball. Um, and then Kalanoho Funga's really friggin' good at football. I mean, just, you know, sometimes the defense just beats you. Um, so, yeah, I uh, just, just want to hammer that again. But, um
1: and wait, we're talking about commitments. We're talking about twenty. I got to talk. We got to talk about Kajaya Hollowayne, who was the who was a guy who signed in this class, who we kind of overlook a lot. I really like this kid. I, when I saw him at UCLA's camp two years ago, he was the guy who stood out to me. Um, strong arm, athletic. He's kind of a bigger version of Dorian, is is what he is. He's a legit 6'3", and probably. I, I didn't know what Chip said he was today. 210 already, something like that. He's going to be really raw. He's going to have to learn, <laughs> learn the position. But I like him. Will he be able to come in and probably compete? No. But in two years, I think I think there's a good, a very good college quarterback there. I just wanted to to give him a little props because we tend to look at quarterback recruiting and we talk about the guys they missed on, like Jackson Dart or or Deacon Hill or whatever, and we don't talk about Halloween. Um, so, yeah, I think they will go into the portal, and they'll, if, here's the, here's the interesting issue. Um, if Dorian Thompson-Robinson does leave, they would want to get a grad transfer or someone with a lot of experience who could just plug in and, you know, a Wilton Spate, or better, but a guy who's ready-made to play. If he doesn't, they'd like to get an undergrad who's maybe one year in the program and then could start. But the thing is, you're not going to know this. I mean, reasonably, when will we know if Dorian Thompson-Robinson is going to go into the NFL draft, one? And two, all of these grad transfer quarterbacks aren't going to hang around. I mean, we're seeing them already getting snatched up right now. So that's an issue to consider and think about the timing of it all.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, should we talk about the football team generally?
1: Specifically. Yes, sure. Um so I um Your Stanford. Your Stanford preview.
0: Yeah. Do we need to post mortem the USC game? And I do oh, mean postmortem.
1: It's 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 very sad. I mean it really truly was uh demoralizing doesn't even say it. It was like soul sucking the way in my, that happened.
0: in my advanced old age, Tracy, I have I've um become one might say a little jaded, um, a little cynical about um UCLA athletics in particular, life generally, you might say. Um that game took me back. Took me back <laughs> to some real, real heartbreakers in my in my um in my in my youth. Uh, what a brutal finish. What an absolutely brutal finish. And I think the only thing that could truly arouse those feelings of absolute, like, I've just been stabbed in the stomach, would be losing like that to USC. But, my God. Just, I went and looked... You know how I like those advanced box scores and the advanced stats, and they tell you what the stats of the game would indicate you would actually do? Like, what what the stats of the game would indicate as your percentage likelihood to have won that game. The key stats for that game. Tell us that UCLA should have won that game 95 times out of a hundred. Yeah. 95 times.
1: Yeah. And that's. So Dave, back in the day when you were experiencing that you were able to drink heavily.
0: Yeah. You I can't do that do anymore. That anymore can you? Well, and I'd gotten my wisdom teeth out, so I really couldn't. Oh wow. If I hadn't, it would have been touch and go there for a second.
1: Wow. Yeah. Really? You would have you would have you would have indulged yourself, eh? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that was uh that was pretty bad. Um I, I we've done it to death on the details of it, but I would just say that um I could see that game being yet another data point for Chip Kelly in recruiting because he can say, "Look, They have these five stars at wide receiver. They have these five stars at defensive back. They've got this elite tier quarterback. They've got these dudes on the lines. They've got these guys at linebacker. And I went at them and I got this touchdown where a walk-on ran past their entire secondary and that touchdown where a walk-on ran past their entire secondary. What can I do with you? Um, And I could see that being a really powerful pitch because... That was clearly a game where Scheme, for, again, about 57 minutes, Scheme definitely trumped talent. Um, And then it just got away from them at the end.
1: Hey, first off, you know, Ethan Fernier is fast, so... He's fast
0: as hell, and so is Greg Dolcich. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if he's pitching it, he can say that.
1: Yeah, that's true. Very true. Yeah.
0: But they made um, Talanohu Funga look a little silly on both of those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Funga looked at Fernier and just said, oh, I got you. And holy crap, where did you go?
0: So I really like Talanohu Funga as a college player, but he is a Sue Cravens all-star. He's oh, he's a safety. He should be so. playing linebacker.
1: He, well, he played in the box. So much yeah, no, he game.
0: was basically playing linebacker, but he yeah. should be just a full-time linebacker.
1: So what does he do in the pros? Or should we not talk uh, about he, that? he doesn't play in them. No, that's what I was worried about. Well, not worried, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there were a lot of things about that game that, uh, and we we've we've emphasized them that. You know, but I, I'm not going to dwell. What I'm going to say is, to me, what that game meant. My my major takeaway was, with UCLA having a, a vast. <laughs> Uh, difference in talent level, the schemes and the coaching, the game plan made that game, even if not gave UCLA an edge. And that is also with what I think is a really tough USC offensive scheme to stop. So UCLA's scheme and coaching was enough to offset its talent deficit. There's another pitch for recruits right there because Dang, that, that was my main takeaway. UCLA's defense did better against USC on average of, of, during the season on how they performed. So, I don't know. That, that was the most impressive thing. I don't want to necessarily dwell on the, you know, the head coaching decision-making perhaps hiccups, but that was what I, I took out of that. I think even though it was a devastating loss – you still feel it? Yeah, I'm I'm there's kind of a little good feeling though coming out of it, I guess, still now. Maybe I'm just trying to be too optimistic. Maybe we're just
0: gutty little bruins.
1: Maybe that's what maybe that's what we are. Yeah. Um and you can't you can't argue with anything that's gonna keep Clay Helton at USC.
0: Right? No. I think that's that's a definite upside. Um and for the Pac-12 generally, keeping a great coach like Clay Helton in the fold at USC—I mean, he's an Auburn grad. He could go there, and <laughs> I think they've got to lock him up long term, maybe an eight-year deal. <laughs> um, because yeah. what a, what a, what a what a black eye for USC in the conference if they let him go?
1: Uh, um, that's what I think too. I yeah. mean, and uh, to throw him over for someone like uh urban meyer i mean come on a
0: mercenary over your guy who has shown loyalty this entire time hasn't even entertained the auburn offers that you know are coming in you got to reward that loyalty urban meyer he just jumps around what you're going to be good for a year and then he's gone again
1: he's turning down those calls like they're spam calls on his cell phone it says it says auburn alabama (laughs) and he's all nope nope
0: not doing it not doing it and no, then he gets
1: a he gets a text with like 10 million dollars that's all it says and he's saying not doing it
0: no no he will he will he will stay at usc until retirement that's just who he <laughs> is that's the kind of guy he is he, and he deserves
1: it he, he deserves it does. he truly yeah. does
0: all right uh, ucla has a final game this weekend it feels a little bit like an afterthought because it is Uh, But UCLA is taking on Stanford on Saturday. It's very weird timing. Um, It's always a weird thing after the USC game to play another game, even during a regular season. This will be strange. Um, It's a weird thing to play a game right after signing day. That's strange. Like, this whole thing is timed very oddly. Um, But it's another football game. Um, Stanford is uh, semi-surging at the moment. But when you actually look at the team itself... I don't think they're very good. Um, I think it's just been kind of happenstance that they're winning games. Uh, Their defense is terrible. Like, it's a terrible, terrible Stanford defense. If UCLA is focused, and this is the big question, and it's always the question after the USC game, if they're focused and ready to play, it shouldn't be... It should be a pretty comfortable UCLA win. Um, But you never know. You, You really never know the week after. I'll probably predict a close UCLA win, at this point just because I, I got a hedge against UCLA just kind of coming out flat, but Stanford's defense is really bad. UCLA should be able to run the ball and throw the ball pretty much at will.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, I think it's, I think it's pretty important that they come out and win this game. Just not that they finally have a winning record under Chip Kelly off. They sent him off in an off season. And you know, I'm saying that maybe prematurely because they could play in a bowl game, but and I'm not basing this on any information that I inside information, but I'll I'll be surprised if UCLA plays in a bowl game. I just think they're gonna go that route with all those other very respectable schools that are saying they're not playing in a bowl game. Um, so let's just say that happens there four and three. We embark on an offseason on a good note, on a winning on a winning record, good for recruiting. And it shows that the team you know, bounce back and is resilient. And after that pretty, you know, devastating loss against USC, so I think it's a pretty important game. And given the the fallout from USC and that it's signing day this week, it's kind of it's kind of just there. But it, it's it's more important than we're all kind of taking it. I think.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, hopefully, the team buys that too. Uh, yeah, I that's, think that's that's, that's going to be the essential bit. Um, okay,
1: you want to talk about basketball. Go ahead. go go.
0: I, I only want to talk about basketball. That's the only thing I want to talk about today and ever. Um, the UCLA basketball team uh, hasn't played in a while. Um, when I last watched them, I was a little bit drugged out on pain meds, um, Marquette, because that was the night of my wisdom teeth surgery. So I was really looking forward to Tuesday night, which is crazy. That's a crazy person. I, I don't know if I'm just returning to my 2008 mindset or what. But I was upset about a UCLA football game, and then I was upset that I couldn't watch UCLA basketball play, let alone play a cupcake. Like, I was legitimately super bummed about that.
1: Remember those days when you used to look forward to, you knew UCLA was going to win by 25 to 30 points, and you were just looking forward to watching it? Yeah. Because it was fun to watch? That's what, they took that away from us, Dave.
0: And now they've given it back. They have. They've given us back the feeling of disappointment, right?
1: Oh, I got it. Right. Yeah.
0: No, the feeling of disappointment, but no, they've yeah. taken away the game, the game that we wanted to watch. What yeah, I
1: was talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's um, yeah. It was just I don't know. It was a very uh. It was a very disappointing evening to not be able to watch that. And now we've got on Saturday, um, before the Stanford game, it's going to be UCLA, Ohio State which I actually think is going to be a better game than UCLA-Kentucky was lining up to be. Ohio State's actually good, not fake good, like Kentucky is this year. Um, So it might actually be a much more likely loss for UCLA. But frankly, I want to watch this team play marquee games. And I think this has a real chance to be a true matchup of, again, kind of like that San Diego State game and maybe kind of like that Marquette game. Maybe. Maybe a matchup between teams that could be sweet 16 or better level at the end of the year.
1: You know, what's really exciting about UCLA basketball is every time you watch them, you say, okay, they're getting better, but there's, there's still so much more that could develop to make them a lot better. Johnny Juzang. I mean, what did he shoot? One of 19 from three, but you look at him and you go, dude, that, that is an offensive Score. That is a guy who has a great natural instinct to score. You know he's going to start scoring this year. There are so many ups. I mean, Chris Smith has to get better offensively, right? He just has to. Um, David Singleton is shooting the ball well, and then our guy, Jules Bernard, has the best game of his UCLA career, looks completely under control, Driving to the basket, taking his mid ranges, hitting the three, uh, and you put that all together, and you say, "Wow, I, I mean, they haven't even they haven't put this all together yet, not even close." And I rewatched the game, and the defense wasn't great to begin it. They they got better yeah. as the game went on. They were allowing a lot of penetration, a lot of drives. If you noticed, uh, um, the Shooting percentage. Well, I think they came out shooting like sixty-seven percent. That he ended up shooting what? Uh, I mean, it was like forty-two, yeah. something like that. Because the, you say his defense improved so much. So there's so much upside here, and you just think if they put all this together. Wow, it's it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting to think about if they could just shoot. I think. If they continue to shoot what they're shooting from three, I think they're shooting like 37%, 38% as a team. I don't know. That's what's so exciting about them. You watch them and you just say they're pretty good, but they're not even close yet. They still got so much better they could get.
0: Well, hell, they're still starting the wrong center. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you get that right, um, and I'm sure that'll happen at some point, but you get that right, and then... um, I mean that's a simple thing but I yeah I mean just so many basic things about the team just got better and I think the two biggest ones are generally shooting like they're just it's just a much better shooting team and that's at all levels this year um but also uh, defensively it's you've got to remember how bad it was last year because we're talking about it and we're critiquing it because we expected it to be really good and it's not quite really good yet but It's so much better than it looked at the beginning of last year. And it's honestly about as good as it was looking towards the end of last year now. Um, I'm excited to see what this evolves into. Because they are... I think right now after that Marquette game, I thought... That looks exactly like the team I was expecting. Like that looks exactly like the team I was expecting coming out of February. But they grew a lot last year between December and February. What's that going to look like this
1: year? Um, Yeah. And I, I think... I think you marginally see everyone get better. I think the defense as a team has a lot of potential to get better, but but Johnny Juzang is 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 the really is the wild card because they you can just tell by the way he moves, he creates for himself, he looks to drive. There isn't anyone who's a natural offensive player like that on the team. Chris Smith is not a natural offensive player. Well, and I think
0: player. I think Smith would love another guy to defer to. Um, yeah. and Juzang I think has the confidence and I think You can tell just watching on the court, he already has everyone's trust. Like, they're not, like, there's no bad body language when he takes a shot. There's nothing like that. And so as a newcomer to already have that trust makes me think that he truly was just burning everyone up in practice.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not, that wasn't like, what is this guy doing? That is, no, keep doing it because we know you've killed it Yeah, we know you're
0: going to start making 50% of these really quick. Um, Yeah. So... Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the team again after a momentary disappointment after the first week. So uh, hopefully, hopefully, don't let me down, UCLA basketball. I'm now in the <laughs> emotional stage of my fandom again. I've returned to twelve years ago.
1: Don't so let, let me, me ha- let me ask, let me ask. Um, how unusual? Because I legitimately don't know. How unusual is it for what you're forty four years old? How what you are? To have, seventy. Uh, I think seventy. To have wisdom teeth taken out Is extremely
0: that... unusual, uh um, really yeah, at yeah. thirty five that's the point at which it becomes like not a joke surgery really? um yeah, I mean, mine, I think still was. I don't think the roots had formed quite as much as they were uh worried it would have, uh, but yeah, I was having you know one of them was just kind of weird, and I think it, it was just hard to clean, and so it was getting some bacteria and it you know all that kind of crap.
1: It was getting um, your beard in it and stuff, and, and so they're and, like,
0: "We got to take that one out, and you might as well just get them all out." But here's the interesting piece: most people, when they get them out, they're like 18; they don't even, they barely even notice they're there yet, right? I used my wisdom teeth; like, I used them, I chewed with them, and now, like a week later, I'm still not really eating a bunch of like hard wow. or solid foods. But the few things I have chewed, I have to like almost relearn how to chew
1: because oh, I use so those back cute. teeth. I'm just picturing Dave with your big old beard, Yosemite Sam, just learning how to chew. I know it's That's it's so sweet.
0: I'm like chewing way at the front of my mouth, and it's just like this is not this is not how I did it. This is <laughs> this is not good. I'm gonna give oh. myself like a sore jaw from this.
1: <laughs> Hi. Yeah, lots of fun. Well, I guess you know how I want to finish this off is you know UCLA fans have been through a lot. Right, you you could say that there have been some dark times that weren't too optimistic. You couldn't really see that. You couldn't see the pathway to things getting better. In basketball, you know, with the previous coaching staff, you just thought you were in a dark hole that you would never get out of. You can now you can envision UCLA basketball where it's going now under Mick Um and with Chip Kelly, we kind of. We were never in that dark hole like we were with basketball, but we were highly, highly skeptical because we couldn't see the pathway. We couldn't, the pathway wasn't clear. Now things have changed. There have been a few elements and things are kind of falling into place a little. You throw, and we can, We now see what UCLA can do if it wins a little, what it can do uh, I, in recruiting. Throw all this together, uh, you know, think about it. We have never seen a winning UCLA football program with the Wasserman Center as a resource to be able to recruit with that Wasserman Center. Never, ever, uh, since that thing was built. Maybe it's a curse, but they, since that thing was built, they've, they've lost. So using that as a resource, uh, and then the, the topper here is the Jordan brand, that UCLA signed. Martin Jarman, big shout out to UCLA, UCLA's new athletic director for getting that done. While it might not have a huge direct impact on football recruiting, you know, it's one of those things you say, okay, well, that's good too on top of it. You don't make your decision as a football recruit that you're going to go there because of the brand. A lot of times in basketball, basketball recruits do, uh, and it's a big thing. Um, and just to change the overall image of UCLA athletics also. And you throw on top of all that, Martin Jarmond, a dynamic, young athletic director with energy who has some vision of where this should go and, and how he wants to do it. I don't know, Dave. There's some, there's some legitimate optimism here. Would you say, you
0: would you say, Tracy, that <clears throat> something's brewing?
1: <laughs> Damn, you're doing you're doing like the old dad jokes. Yeah. Wow, that's what happens when you get your wisdom teeth out. You uh-huh. just yeah.
0: Well, I lost my wisdom. <laughs> See what I did there?
1: Yeah. Wow, you did another dad joke. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anyway, right. you're excited. You have to admit. You're I'm excited. excited. I'm I'm pumped. You're excited for football. Either. I'm
0: excited for it all. I am. Um, I am 23 year old me again.
1: Dave, say I'm excited for football.
0: I'm excited UCLA for football. football. I'm excited UCLA. for UCLA football.
1: Look at that! Look at that! It's a whole new day.
0: It's a beautiful day.
1: It's a beautiful day.
0: A beautiful day. Um, oh wow! God, people
1: just like went away from their speakers.
0: I, I hope they didn't. I hope they yeah. really sucked it all in with their earballs. balls. <laughs>
1: well okay Dave this was good I like talking to you
0: (laughs) it was so much fun Tracy I laughed I cried and now we are done All right, well everyone I hope you enjoyed your signing day I hope you enjoy all the games on Saturday and we will be back again soon Uh, if we do not talk to you in the meantime I don't know if we'll do a pre-Christmas one but if we don't have a a, you know Merry Christmas or whatever you celebrate or Happy Holidays whatever you want to do just have a good one All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, (laughs) Bruin Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time.
1: Keep staying safe out there, guys.